everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Rocket Fuel HSV podcast. I'm your host, Brett Ball, and I can't wait to show you what the Huntsville, Alabama food scene has to offer. So strap in, hold tight, and hang on as we'll discover what makes the Rocket City food landscape so unique. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Rocket Fuel HSV podcast. I'm your host, Brett Ball, and today I'm um, part of my Huntsville Influencer Series. I'm here with the Smoky Southerner himself. How you doing today, Ben Ackerman? Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, it's going well, so... Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah. It's a, a cool little setup you got yeah, here. I appreciate it, man. This is Dig the it. Rocket Fuel studio that a few people have seen, uh, mostly <laughs> online, but that's cool. Yeah, I appreciate you coming out here and... No worries. You know, it was, it was a long trip. I mean, I did, you know, I had to make sure I had time allocated to drive to the whole, you know, half a mile from my house. To yeah. Yours, so. to the, all the <laughs> listeners out there, one of the funny stories I think me and Ben have is we figured out we live in the same neighborhood out after we met online on Instagram. <laughs> so a uh, small world, but uh, yeah, I was looking forward to having you on because you are, uh, what do you consider yourself? I know you're an influencer, but you're different. You're not yeah. your, average food blogger. Yeah. So, so I mean, I've, I've always done journalism throughout my life. I love writing. I love putting stuff out there. Um, I did journalism before I joined the air force. I did journalism throughout the air force and I just kind of, I've always enjoyed, it's been an outlet for me. And so mostly throughout the places I've been throughout my air force career, I focus mostly on cigars and sometimes some bourbon, beer, things like that. And I mean, of course, you know, guys got to eat too. I like eating, but I, I do consider myself more in the long and I do consider myself a foodie in that I know and appreciate food. But what I tend to focus more on is more of the, the different parts of the community. So especially within, uh, within, you know, bourbon and beer and cigars, and then just, I, I feel like that's a spot of in this, especially within the Huntsville's culture that is often missed. And that's one of the things when, you know, when I moved up here, I moved up here last year, I started looking around and that's how we met is I started looking around of like, okay, where are the craft beer spots? Where's the places to go get a decent bottle of bourbon? And there just wasn't really anyone in the community highlighting that. And I'm like, well, I know that there's with as many people that move into Huntsville as there are, there's probably other guys like me or other people like me that are looking for the same thing. So why not try to fill that, fill that need, share some information out and, you know, maybe find some like-minded individuals along the way. Yeah, for sure. And you, you kind of touch on an important, I think behind the scenes influencer thing is there are a lot of people out there like us in a small town, even yeah. like this, as you've come to find out. And I, I mean, there has to be to support. I don't even know how many breweries we have here in yeah. just this small yeah. city. Um, Certainly enough for everyone to get their feet wet, but and it's growing. I mean, yeah. there, there's, there's, you know, there's not it, and, and we can talk about this a little bit more in depth um, later on, or we talk about it now, or whenever. But um, they, there's, there's, there's growing, there's growing breweries or a growing number of breweries within the state of Alabama, and then, but then also a lot of these breweries are getting together and forming co-ops, they're joining brands, they're doing collaborations and stuff because they're realizing that, hey, it, why compete with each other when we can work together and just help each other step our game up? And so you're seeing that a lot too. Um, I got to sit down the other day with uh, the folks at the uh, co-op, which is going to be Straight to Ale, Salty Nut, Avondale, and 
Good people. Yeah, good people. Thank you. Yeah. Good people. Um, and they're opening up a tap room. And they're opening up actually two tap rooms, one at Stove House, one down in Gunnersville. Yeah. And that's going to be their whole, whole focus is collaborations. And so you're starting to see a lot more of that. Um, we're definitely not in the same place within Huntsville as a lot of other places are. So you go to, you know, Charleston, which another thing you and I share in common. Um, you go to Charleston or you go to like Colorado or somewhere like that to where there's just breweries all over the place. There's not that here in Alabama simply because of the legislative matters that came into it. You know, microbreweries and craft bre- free the hops. Yeah. Free the hops. Uh, microbrewing and craft breweries weren't a thing until I'll say it's like 2014, 2015. Yeah, it or wasn't so. that long ago. No, no. And so, you know, Alabama is uh, probably at least 10, 15 years behind the power curve on the brewing scene. And so, but they're catching up and there's, and they're really starting to make a good, uh, make their presence known within, within the craft beer world. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and kind of what you were saying, the way that we met was you were moving into town. You were looking for like-minded people that yeah. explored some places maybe you haven't found out about yet. And to tell you the truth, that's a cool little behind-the-scenes snippet of rocket fuel is that that's how I meet a lot of people. I get so many messages. I'm moving into town. I just uh, – one recently just finished college. They're moving into town. They want to know what was going on in Huntsville, and they're, they're into craft beer and the food scene. So that's not uncommon, um, but – it's cool when you meet another influencer that does it. Yeah, that, that rarely happens. It's usually a fan or uh, another follower. But going back to what you're saying about Charleston, so you're in the Air Force. How long were you in? Uh, 21 years. Wow, okay. So yeah. A long time. You <laughs> moved around a lot. Yeah, moved around a lot. So being, you were born born and raised in Charleston? Or? Yeah, so um, born and raised in Charleston. Um, I grew. I, I say Charleston just simply because uh, I did grow up in in Charleston itself, but where my family is from is from kind of the outer skirts. And, and, and that's, that also has a big influence on when you start looking at, you know, my food, my food influence and my tastes and things like that, that background and that the way I grew up has a large input on that because I grew up in a commercial fishing family. You know, all my family are shrimpers and they go out and, you know, oysters and crabs and just Everything that is stereotypical, you know, Bubba Gump, everything else it, that that was that was me growing up, and so being in Charleston with so much history, so much culture, and having that at your fingertips to be a part of, and then having that unique experience of growing up in that commercial fishing industry and kind of the backwoods industry, and really getting that that deep South experience growing up really set me up to have an appetite for learning more about everywhere I go. And that followed me throughout my Air Force career. And certainly now as I've gotten settled into Huntsville, it's helped me kind of generate what I want to do here within within our new hometown and also within the area to try to find out, you know, those that that culture and find those little subsets of culture that surround things like, you know, craft beer, good food and and just meeting good people. Yeah, I want to kind of circle back there. Uh, being from Charleston, you mentioned we have a connection there. So I want to explain to the viewers, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, listeners, what we're talking about. is. So all my extended family, basically everyone but me and a few uh, aunts and uncles and cousins, live all in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, that area, Somerville, Isla Palms, um, Mount Pleasant, especially Folly Beach, uh, yeah. all around there. Yeah. And so I grew up there basically because I went there three or four times a year, every year. And (laughs) that was like clockwork. That is what we did every summer. That is what we did every Christmas. Um, 
whenever we, and I lived in Washington, D.C. at the time, so it was a bit of a haul, about an eight, nine-hour drive. Uh, so, And then eventually I moved to Savannah, um, finishing out my late teen, their college years, and that's where I was in Charleston. It seemed like every other weekend probably. And and, and the Charleston that you and I grew up yeah, it's completely different. And that's, you know? that's actually where I was going with that one. Because <laughs> sorry, I mean to jump let me in. tell you, man, Somerville <laughs> used to be like podunk nowhere, and now it's a hustling, bustling suburb. You yeah, can't even find yeah. a house there anymore. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. It's gotten. I mean, it's it's a it's a victim of its own success, Charleston, because you know around uh, early two thousands or so, they started getting recognized for. Uh, being a travel destination and that really good, you know, Southern hospitality, that Southern charm, and then came the food and then came the craft beer and all this other stuff. And so you started seeing it pick up and now they've got, you know, it's a huge amount of transplants that live there. And, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's where it is now is, you know, if you fast forward Huntsville 10, 15 years, it's probably going to be there. The difference though, I think with Charleston is that Charleston doesn't have anywhere to grow. Whereas Huntsville does. Huntsville has, you know, room to grow. There's ways to do it. Charleston, just because of the way it's laid out, it's mostly surrounded by rivers, surrounded by marshland. Uh, most of it sits below sea level. You can't go anywhere with it. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, it, you, I talked to, I meet a lot of people um, around town and they're like, whether it's through the craft beer scene, because Charleston has some really, really prominent breweries with, uh, with Westbrook Brewing Company, Edmonds O's, Palmetto Brewing they've got some really big breweries out there. And I talked to a lot of people and they're like, Oh yeah, we just went to Charleston. The other week. It's so great. So much to do. I was like, yeah, it's, but there's, it's a very different Charleston than what you and I grew up with. Yeah. And, uh, definitely opens your eyes to how, how quickly, cause man, it's not even 20 years that took to go from, you oh, know, yeah. nowhere to oh, now yeah. it's a destination and, and places I used to go growing up that were just nowhere or, you know, you just saw nothing but trees are now all developed and it's, it's it, crazy. It was a, it, it, it may or may not have also been a major influence in where I retired when I retired from the air forces, my wife and I are both from Charleston. And so that was one of the things is like making sure that when we started looking at somewhere that I could get a job and things like that, I had some job offers from Charleston, but it just, it, <laughs> the past couple times we've been there, just not the, the, the traffic, yeah. the traffic, just, you know, the traffic, the cost of living. And that's really yeah. one of the things that did it for us with Huntsville is that, you know, still right now, even though the housing market is just insane, we got in right before the housing market and it's still reasonable to get around town. You can still get to stuff. And so it's, yeah, it's, I yeah. agree. I coming from Tampa, Florida, major yes, metro area. Yes. My commute was insane. And that's one of the driving factors that put me in Huntsville. I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, but yeah, so you, you were in for 21 years in the Air yep. Force. What made you want to join that? You went from commercial fishing. I was, I'm assuming the family <laughs> business, right? Yeah. So, so well, I looked at doing something other than commercial fishing simply because uh, I saw how hard of how hard it is to do. Um, you know, there's there's it's all dependent on the market. Everything else. I mean, you know, COVID. COVID even hit the commercial fishing industry because when restaurants started shutting down, which are the people that buy most of the seafood then there wasn't the market for the seafood anymore. And so that kind of dries up and prices go down. And then it gets to where, you know, I I talked with my dad and some other family members and they're like, yeah, uh, we can't go out again in the boat for two or three days because nobody's buying anything. And so I I just saw how hard of a work, how hard of work it was. And not that I was afraid of it because I grew up knowing that hard work, but 
I wanted something different. I wanted to see something. And so, you know, I mentioned I was, I did journalism a little bit before I joined the Air Force. I actually had a scholarship at university to University of South Carolina for journalism. And I just, <laughs> then I realized there's no money in journalism. And so I was like, you know what? I, I actually want to go and do something else. And so I enlisted in the Air Force and I went, went to the Air Force in 99. I spent a couple of years as an air traffic controller and then, um, had the opportunity to change jobs. And so I cross-trained over and started doing acquisition and contract management. So that's what, that's what I did for the rest of my time in the air force. And it it was, it was so great. I loved, loved it because I got to see so much of the world. Um, My first duty assignment, I was lived in, I was stationed in England for three years and then um, stationed in Texas, two different parts of Texas twice, which if you, if you, I know we've talked about this, but if you read any of my, any of my posts and stuff, you know, Mexican food is really close to my heart. And part of it too, is because I got to taste a lot of it in its purest form, you know, from being stationed in San Antonio, which is really, really rich in that kind of food and culture. But then also I was stationed out in Del Rio, Texas, which is right on the Mexican border. And this was way back when we could actually go into Mexico. And so we used to go into, into Mexico all the time and go eat. Um, But getting to see that, getting to experience, you know, the European culture, um, and then I got to, I was up in Alaska for a couple of years, two separate tours here in Montgomery, up in North Carolina, and then countless deployments and stuff all over the Middle East, all over Africa. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's really great experience. And I'm glad I, I'm glad I got out. Um, there's a lot of people that, a lot of my friends from high school and people that I know that were, that are still in Charleston and they're doing really well for themselves. It's not a dig at them, but I appreciate the worldview that because number one, it's made me appreciate what we have a lot more, but then also it's allowed me to experience different parts of culture in their purest form and not maybe what can sometimes get watered down depending on what region you're in. Sure. So man, that's, that's an impressive resume. I mean, I guess it would have to be after 21 years, uh, but you went from commercial fishing to join the air force contract management, went all the way to England, San Antonio, all these places, yeah. assignments overseas. So you definitely have time. a comprehensive worldview. I'd have to say, um, cause there's just no way you could travel and walk, not walk away with some lessons learned. No, and, and that was, and that was, I think the, the great thing about, you know, so I enjoyed when I was an air traffic controller, but I enjoyed my new job a lot more because my my job as a contract manager and doing negotiations and doing procurements for the government, and when we're deployed and everybody else is confined to the base, we're the guys that are off base dealing with the locals, negotiating for them to provide services or come do things. And so I got to really get out there and experience the culture. And so when you go and you sit down with somebody in the Middle East and you have tea with them and, you know, you sit there and have a discussion with them that Middle Eastern culture is really big, even in their business arrangements. They're a lot more personable than we are in the U S how's your mother. How's your grandfather. How's your, (laughs) you'll sit down and you'll talk to them for like an hour or so. And it's the same thing in Africa. You'll sit down and talk with them for like an hour, hour and a half before you even start talking business. And so you get to learn so much of the culture that way. And that's the thing I appreciate the most is just being able to get to get to experience that and really have that worldview of like, okay, what being able to empathize with somebody with what they're going through, but then also to see the commonalities of, of, uh, 
of what brings us together just as humans. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think us as native Southerners, we have a leg up in that one because we're, we're used <laughs> to taking our time and getting to know each yeah. other, talking to the clerk at checkout. And we, and we don't mind talking to people. You know, I was, uh, I was deployed with a guy that was from Boston um, one time. And so he, he and I were off base one time talking, talking with, uh, with one of the vendors and <laughs> he was just having, he was, he was very, he was very true to where to his his upbringing in that uh, some like the guy would ask him a question and the uh, the airman the other airman that was with me he's like he's like yeah no very very short direct answers there was no small talk anything else and so I kind of pulled him aside I said I know this comes hard to you but you need to you need to really talk about that you need to learn to talk and be more comfortable and open up because that's what they're going to appreciate and I think that that's that's also driven. Uh, a lot with what I do with, if you see like my articles or the stuff that I post on Instagram, I don't focus as much on like, Hey, this beer is here, but Hey, this is the person that is brewing this beer and this is why they like it. Or this is where this came from. I find so much value and so much more appeal in the story that goes with it. Sure. And I, I agree with you completely as a, as a food influencer myself, that's kind of the angle I take. I, it's easy to be like, oh, we can find this here and there's this kind yeah. of pizza here, but not a lot of people would ever take the time to think, oh, this is a locally owned business and here's who's cooking it and here's his experience. And I, I just love that part of it too. But so, I mean, that kind of technical work, yeah, I could see why you need a creative outlet, you know, because yeah. it gets kind of monotonous. It yeah. gets kind of dry. Um, so luckily when you retired, you moved to Huntsville, you probably had a lot more time to pursue those kind of yeah, ventures. It's, it's, it's really, it's really cool because, um, you know, I, I had, I worked for a local company when I moved up here and then now I'm working for a company to where I'm working completely, um, 100% remote. Uh, and it gives me a little bit more flexibility to where I can work from anywhere, I, I can take time off that kind of stuff to where I can go out and be out and about. But then also it's, it's nice to, it's nice to be consistently home. <laughs> that yeah. was a, that was a huge driving factor with, uh, with my retirement is that, you know, I got tagged for, uh, I was, I was over, I was over 20 years already. And it's funny enough. I was actually up here in Huntsville for training at defense acquisition university. And I got a call from my deployment manager and he's like, he's like, Hey, uh, you know, we got you, we got a tasking for you for deployment. And I'm like, excuse me. They're like, yeah, you're going to be leaving the week before Christmas. And it's, you know, for six, seven months or whatever. And I'm like, it's like, yeah, I've already done this. I mean, I went through, I say like five, six years to where I didn't see my family for more than six, seven months at a time, if that. And so it was just one of those things of like, <laughs> my literal words from him was like, nah, dude, I'm good. Yeah. He's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, no, nah. I'm over 20. I was like, I, I've, I've had enough. And I felt guilty about it because I know that somebody else was going to have to pick up that deployment, but I had a really good, um, uh, chief that was my, was one of my mentors. And he's like, you know, the reason that you're allowed to do that, the reason that you're allowed to just after 20 years say, no, I'm good. He's like, you've done your time. You've done your part. Now it's time to go spend time with your family. And that's what, and that's what, you know, with, being able to work from home has allowed us to do, but now also you know, bringing it back to why we chose Huntsville. There's just so much here to do. And so now I get to not only enjoy this great city, but I get to experience it with my, with my family and get to see them be able to plant roots for, for once because my kids, they've never been anywhere for more than three years at a time. 
Yeah, as a growing up as a military child and then going right into the army after college, I completely understand. Uh, I was only in for five years, so not nearly 21, but I can tell you that for that five years, I was never home. I was deployed <laughs> one whole year out of that five. Yeah. And then when I was home, I was often training or doing something yeah, not yeah, even yeah. in the state. So a lot of times my family did have to go and tour without me and figure it out. And then even, and then even when you're, when you're, when you're at home, you know, there's always, like you said, there's always training. There's always PT. There's always, you some know, manda- of, mandatory fun functions, yeah, everything some, else. Some kind of duty that you're not at home. <laughs> yeah. So I know it's got to be a joy to retire in set roots because I oh, feel yeah. that completely. Oh, yeah. And that's part of why I chose Huntsville as well. Yeah. Um, so do you do anything now currently with the veterans to try to give back now that you're on the other side? Yeah. So I'll tell you that there's a, there's a group, um, the group that's very near and dear to my heart, um, team red, white, and blue. So it's a national nonprofit and what it is is it's a group that was established by a returning army veteran um, from Iraq, and, th- and it's been it's been around for about ten years now. Um, but he's he kind of saw that the the there wasn't anything for our generation of veterans. There wasn't anything out there for us to go and for us to commune. And I, I'm I'm a member of the VFW. I like the VFW. I like what they do for a mission. But that's not necessarily what our generation of veteran likes to do. And so he saw the need and created this group to with Team RWB. What they're about is connecting veterans to their local community to other veterans um, through physical and social interaction. So everything from getting up and we'll go do Sunday morning rucks to doing uh, Taco Tuesdays going bowling. It's essentially just creating opportunities for veterans to get together and to get out there and meet like-minded people. Because what it does, a lot of the veterans too, when they come back, they go into, they, they become recluses. And so they don't, they seclude themselves. They don't talk to anybody. And so there's not that system of accountability to where, okay, if you and I, you know, if, if we go running together every single Saturday and I know you're consistently there every single Saturday, but for one Saturday, you don't show up and you didn't text me, you didn't call me and say, you weren't going to be there. That's going to cue me in to say, Hey, you know, are you okay? Type thing. And that's the connections that, that RWB um, establishes. And, and for me, it's saved me quite a few times, um, you know, from just, feeling that sense of loneliness and having a sense of purpose. And so there, there's a chapter, chapters all over the U S there's a chapter right here in, in um, Huntsville and they just do a lot of really great work about connecting the veterans. And by the way, it's one of the few veteran service organizations that you can actually be a part of, even if you're not a veteran. So if, even if you're just like, Hey, I want to get out there. I want to connect with veterans. I want to help our veteran community. It's a great outlet. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I'm completely familiar with the VFW. Was that the veterans of foreign wars? Yep. Um, and I feel the same way because, you know, when I was growing up, most of the veteran organization, even still now they're like this, it's, these very old, you know, I mean, nothing against yeah. them. They served their time and it was yeah. a completely different environment. Um, but maybe, maybe I don't feel, you know, cause I'm, I'm the kind of veteran. A lot of people don't even know I was in the army. Um, right. cause I don't, I don't wear the Afghanistan hat or I don't have the logo <laughs> on my car. I don't, I don't care. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's not what I'm about. And I think, I think a lot of people like me may feel that way. And then our, our generation of veterans, I feel like we have our own challenges too. being at war for since sure. I was a sophomore in high school till just very recently, sure. you know, when yeah, we tried absolutely. to leave Afghanistan. There there's people, there's people that have done their whole entire you know, enlistment that are able, you can do, you can do your whole entire 20 years of, you know, getting to retirement age while the nation was at war, yeah. you know, because we, because we started in t- 2001 
and then going through all the way to. Yeah. So I think that's a great program to kind of get that new generation veteran and, you know, some sense of community, like you said, not many people uh, have, have that community when they get out and they feel lonely and uh, it's easy to kind of fall by the wayside, but I'm glad there's organizations out there doing, especially people that could help that maybe we're never in. Um, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, uh, and it, and it's a great and honestly, it's a great way too for me to share the passions that I go into with my Instagram sure. account because and that's what I like about with RWB is that the possibilities are endless with what you want to do, and so we do have people that are like, hey, you know, they may not like to run, but they enjoy good food or they enjoy you know going and learning about craft beer. We've, I've even done homebrew classes before. You know, just invite people. Hey, you want to come homebrew? homebrew out of my garage and it's just a way to connect with people over like-minded things so you don't feel so alone sure that's so you end up in huntsville you have a great organization kind of as a backbone maybe yeah. to meet people we meet on instagram yeah. and i'm sure the list goes on and on um you mentioned earlier you're writing articles uh and i know personally that's for we are huntsville because i've yep. read your work i also am a contributor for we yep. are huntsville i think my favorite thing you've done is the most recent article about uh or maybe not the most reason, but it was about the shrimp and grits, shrimp and grits your favorite yes. ones in the city, oh. which I thought was perfect for you, uh, not, yeah. Charleston native. Uh, so what, what kind of spurred that idea? So, so I don't try when I, when I do food stuff, I don't try to go into, you know, I, I like all food, but I don't feel like I know all food well enough to where I feel like I can comment on it or to where it's that emotional experience for me. And, you know, like one of the things that I feel I know real well is Mexican food. I didn't grow up in that, in that culture, but getting to see the purest forms, but the shrimp and grits, I just gravitate to that so much because even before, uh, even before it became really, really popular and you started seeing it in a lot of restaurants, that was a dish I grew up with. And it was very much a working man's dish as the article talks about. And so it was really meant to be just, you know, whatever shrimp you had. And it was stuff that you could because it was grits keeps real well, um, flour keeps real well, bacon is cured so it stays well, and then you were catching shrimp out on the boat, so it was really easy to make it as a spur of the moment thing. And like most southern dishes, it was meant to be filling to carry you throughout the day. And so it was a just it's that it's one of those dishes that just resonates with me from growing up, and I have such good memories. And it's one of the first things I learned to cook. And so going around here, starting to try to find stuff that really is more reflective of what I grew up with and trying to find those dishes that evoke those similar types of memories. Because a lot of people relate relate food to like, oh, going home and your parents cooking this or your grandparents cooking this, or this was always what we had on Christmas morning and being able to pull that back. And so that's kind of what I wanted to go with understanding that there's new interpretations of it, but for me trying to find what really struck that emotional chord with what I feel that the true and pure form of that dish is and and that, that is holding it true to what it was meant to be. That being said, with your experience, uh, (laughs) commercial fishing and everything, I got to ask, what's your favorite one in town that you've had anyway? So I'll tell you this. And, and, I, and, you know, I, I said in the article, there's, there's things about, there's some places around here that do some really good newer interpretations of it. Um, some of them just aren't my taste, but the, the one, the one that it just, so it actually surprised me was, um, 
Martin Bar and Bistro. Okay. Yeah. So Martin Bar and Bistro, like they have it on their brunch, brunch menu, but it was just one of those things to where it had the, the perfect combination to where the grits were well seasoned, um, where they were well seasoned while they cooked, which is an important thing. Grits, you have to season them while they cook. Um, kind of like potatoes are to where it had the good gravy that went with it. And then the shrimp were done well. They were the appropriate size. So, um, shrimp and grits is not one of those dishes where bigger is better. Um, for me, I like using the smaller shrimp and that's what I'm used to because you, you use the ones that didn't sell well at market, but then also it offers you that chance to get one with every single bite. And so, yeah, Martin bar and bistro by far, that was the one that had the, uh, the best for me. To put it, maybe people haven't been there to put it in perspective. That's kind of like a bar, you know, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, you, you can't even really see it. If you don't see the sign on the street, you wouldn't know it was there. You got to yeah. walk up the stairs. It, and- a lot of people think it's just part of Sammy's, yeah, um, yeah. But, but it's uh, Sammy T's. I think is what it is. Yeah. Sammy yeah. T's. Um, but yeah, it's just right upstairs there. It's a really great little brunch spot. They have a really great menu. They do some really cool food um, aside from having a, a really solid bourbon selection. Um, but they do some really good food and their brunch menu is fantastic. But yeah, the, the shrimp and grits there, I, I, and I didn't hit everywhere around town. And of course you put an article out and everybody's like, Oh, did you try You didn't try this. And it was like, I'm, I'm, I'm working on round two, but for, for what I hit for the places I was able to hit, um, without completely wrecking my diet, um, <laughs> that was, that was my favorite in the downtown area. Well, that's good. Uh with We Are Huntsville, so they're a local organization um, that we support, and, we, and I find it a lot of fun to write for yeah. them. Um, how, do, how did you get plugged into that, being new into town? Did they find you? Did yeah, you- it, they, they reached out to me, and, and I think it was going back to um, going back to the same premise that I was talking about earlier was when I moved up here, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of food bloggers in town. And there's, there's a lot of people that are, you know, really trying to dive into the culture and share their opinions and stuff like that. But there's not, there's, there's not a lot of people that really focus on certain things. And so this, it's a special, special kind of niche that I, I like and that it really, I want to be able to fill. And so that's kind of how I lined up with that was being able to fill that kind of culture subset of the beer and bourbon and cigars and everything else. And so that's where with we are Huntsville started the passion for pints project and doing the series of articles with there. And that's also where I kind of started to say, you know what? I want to make this focus on the stories. Uh, it's like, you know, they get some really incredible people. And I think Ricky touched on it during the last podcast where they're talking about, because you've got such a big concentration of, scientists and engineers and stuff. You got a lot of people that are here pursuing their passion projects. And so my first article talking with the, with the guys over at Mad Malt's brewing company, and you've got two guys that are legit, like rocket scientists, they're engineers. Like they've, they've engineered their whole brewing system. One of one of them was a engineer on the international space station. Another one worked on the Mars lander. I mean, just, you know, great, great credentials. And they're working in the, the brewing because that's what they love to do. And you see that a lot throughout town, restaurants and everything else. It's just people are pursuing their passion projects and it's cool to learn kind of what their influences are and what brought them to that point. Yeah, it really is. It's a 
Huntsville is unique in that I've met some of the most brilliant people in my life, all in one city, you know, and um, yeah. even where I work on the arsenal as a software engineer, it's my day job. And I feel like that's everybody's story. Oh, I have this super technical job, fill in the blank. Yeah. But when I'm not working, you know, I'm brewing beer in my garage. And that's how a lot of these guys start out, I feel like, because I've talked to a few of them too. And, um, but becoming a brewer, let's be honest, it's really hard work. It's super oh, yeah. competitive. This is not something you fall oh, into no, no, by no. accident. No, no, no. Um, so have you heard any super compelling stories of how people in town kind of switched into that career path? I mean, you got a lot of people in, <laughs> I was actually talking with, uh, the folks over at, um, over at straight to ale about this. Cause I was t- sitting down and talking with them about the co-op. Uh, and y- you find kind of the same similar story is that most of them started off as home brewers. You know, they started brewing beer and then they're like, you know what? I want to do this as, as professional thing. The thing with the thing with it is that a lot of times you'll find people because I, I do home brewing as well. There's a difference between me brewing beer out of my garage and handing it to my neighbors and them saying, "Oh yeah, that's good beer because it's free beer," and then actually creating beer that's like good enough to sustain income and to support a, a place. And, and that's where that's where I found like a lot of uh, a lot of the brewers are is. And, I, and I've met a lot of people that tried to start getting into the craft beer scene um, throughout my career. And a lot of times it's just they realize they get on the market and they realize, hey, it's not it's it's not as good as I thought it was. But, yeah, the, the Mad Maltz guys with their their origin story was really cool. Um, getting to talk with uh, Doug um, over at Beezer. So he runs Chandler's for Brewing, which is doing he's just doing some phenomenally cool stuff yeah, didn't he just do like the artemis and he had the astronaut who was yeah, part of that yeah coming that, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. nuts yeah he he frustrates the crap out of me too and doug i hope you hear this and, I, and i've told you this before you, you frustrate me man because he'll come up with this beer that is so good and like you know the the he'll come up with it so good and i'll in the last like the kaggle kick he won't have any more on tap it's like when are you doing it again he's like i don't know because he's just got so much he's got so he's got such a backlog of really creative ideas that you know is it's just he's he's always doing something innovative and then you've got people you know that are also really really holding it down as far as creating something steady and something that is true to every I think everybody in within the beer scene here is bringing something different to to the scene and you know my my good friend Robo over over at Fractal Brewing Company uh, really, you know, he's, he's having a big part right now with bringing the culture and the knowledge of the beer brewing process into the community. I just finished taking the, uh, Calhoun community college. He does a homebrew class that he hosts at fractal brewing oh, company. Wow. Okay. Yeah, is, that, like, is that new? Yeah. It, they just started it this year. It's like, uh, I think it was like six weeks long and it's an hour every Tuesday and no, sorry, two hours every Tuesday. And you basically just sit around and you learn the process of brewing beer. There's so much science wow. in it. There's so much into it. And you brew a batch of beer at the same time. Yeah, so that's super cool. So did you have to sign up to take classes through Calhoun or how did that work? Yeah, yeah. You just it's a single class. So it's through their workforce development. So it's not like actual like you don't get credits. You're not for a it. you're not yeah. a student. You're, you're not a audit, student. auditing the class. Yeah, it's like it's like taking a uh you know, it's like taking a painting class okay. or something like that. But but it's a really cool experience. And yeah, you get no, to brew your beer and and even as somebody that's been brewing for a while, you get to learn so much. And that's the, that's the great thing about with a lot well, of, well, not only that you're, you're doing it with an expert, you know, who's done it a million times. And, uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, he's also a veteran, right? Yeah. So he was, he's, a uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't want to say he was a Marine because, you know, you'll get the whole yeah. once, you, once a Marine, always a Marine, you know. But yeah, he's a, and he's also a very big supporter of the veteran, a veteran community. Um, they just did a, they did a veteran, a Valor, they have, I think it's still on tap, the Valor Black IPA that they have that is made with hops that were grown by veterans. And it was a special veterans thing. And then they also did um, a fundraiser for the Semper, for the uh, Marine Corps birthday over at the Veterans Museum over in John Hunt Park um, to try to raise money for them. So he's, he's really big into the veterans community as well, which I think is another reason why he and I, he and I connected so well. Cool. Um, one of the things I love about Fractal is a lot of people don't know this, especially if they're new to town. That used to be the original straight Dale, wasn't it? Yeah. So it was, uh, so that building was, this is the third iteration of breweries that were in there. So it used to be old town fermentary okay. and then, uh, and then it went to straight to ale and then straight to ale moved to campus eight Oh five. And then that's when, um, when, uh, fractal took it over. And so right, it's right there off of uh Lehman ferry road. That's another people, a lot of people don't know where yeah, it is. If, if you've never been back there you might not have a reason to, you would yeah. never even go. Yeah. But, and, and I think it's, and I think it's cool because it's, you're starting to see as Madison is Madison's been over capacity for yeah, a while. I think. Uh, traffic's a little crazy. <laughs> out there. It's one of the reasons why we bought a house in Owens crossroads. Um, but yeah, Madison's Madison's just really so crazy. And so I think that you're, you're starting to see this resurgence in redevelopment and making South Huntsville a lot better because people are like, Hey, this is a good area that we can start really putting new business into. And Right there, Lehman Ferry Road is is one of the one of the key places with the ice hockey rink there and Fractal Brewing Company. And then um, I, I think that I don't know if it's been announced yet or not, but uh, Back Forty is putting in a tap room right oh, there on nice. the corner corner of uh, Airport Airport and Lehman Ferry. I really so. love the, their peanut butter porter. They do. Yeah, That's one of they, my favorites. They have, by the way, they have the best tap room. Um, if Next time you're in Birmingham, okay. go down to their uh, to their tap room. It's right there at Schloss Furnaces. Oh, and it wow. actually yeah, it actually looks over into Schloss Furnaces. Such a I haven't been there yet, but I've phenomenal heard amazing location. things. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. Schloss Furnaces is also a popular music festival scene every yes. year there too. Uh, and a good haunted house. Yeah, they do a good haunted <laughs> house every true. year. Um, so speaking of bourbon, we. I feel like other than being in Kentucky or somewhere right down from the street from this distillery, North Alabama is not a bad place to be. You might can make the argument yeah. that ABC limit yeah. selection coming to the state, but we live right on the border of Tennessee. Right. So how, you've been all over, lived all over the country. What do you think about the bourbon selection in that North Alabama, Tennessee area compared to other places you've lived? Yeah. So, so here's the thing. And, and, and I've got an upcoming um, series of articles for, for we are Huntsville called whiskey wisdom. And, and one of the things that I'm going into is, is I've gotten to know quite a few people within the bourbon groups and stuff that are within Huntsville and within North Alabama. Um, so it's like the North Alabama bourbon group, the Huntsville bourbon aficionados, a lot of some really great people that are in the bourbon community and you know, bourbon as a culture nationwide has just blown up over the last five, five or so five to 10 years or so. And, Alabama is one of the few, I think it's only one of three states that are controlled strictly by the ABC to where even like, you know, you've got a lot of really great stores like Windmill, uh, Mary's, um, Liquor Express that all do, um, that, that are 
resellers, but they also buy their stuff. They have to go through the ABC uh, for all their stuff. And so Alabama has a really, you don't have the variety that you have in Alabama. And so it, and coming from Montgomery, living, being stationed in Montgomery for a few years, it was really hard. But being here in North Alabama, you know, you go across the, across the uh, border into, into Tennessee and you can go to Fayetteville, you can go to Chattanooga, um, you go to Knoxville, uh, Spring Hill, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville is also a really good spot. They've got some really great liquor stores up there, but you can find decent bourbon. You just have to know where to look for it. Number one, but then also I find that a lot of people that are either just getting into bourbon or that are trying to expand their bourbon knowledge always fall back on wanting to find what I call the Hollywood brands. So they're always looking for that bottle of Blanton's. They're looking for, you know, Pappy Van Winkle, Buffalo Trace, these really kind of commercialized brands sure. that they're like, because, because everybody says that they're the best, they're the best. And number one, they're super hard to find. They're super hard to find in the state of Alabama. You have to hit an allocation um, day on Saturday, which is, I think it's like the third Saturday. So that's why I see people camping. Yes. Yes. (laughs) If you drive by an ABC on the third Saturday of, uh, of, of the month and you see a bunch of people sitting outside the store, (laughs) they're not homeless people. It's just people that are trying to, trying to get bourbon. So, you know, yeah. and, And there's people, there's guys I know that'll camp out for like 10, 12 hours for, the, the opportunity to buy one or two bottles of bourbon. And that's, that's one of the things that I talk about with the article is like, why do that? You can drive a little bit of the ways up into Tennessee and get it, but also there's great opportunities right here in the Huntsville area to get really good bourbon. You know, what we're sipping on right now is a knob Creek. Um, it's a, it's about nine and a half years old. Okay. It's a knob Creek. It's a single barrel pick, which means that you know, that the, the, the store or whoever did the barrel pick got samples from the distillery and tasted it and said, okay, I want this. And they're the only ones that carry bottles from that barrel. And so this is actually from Mary's, which is right here on our side of Montesano, um, another great little um, purveyor of really great um, spirits. But and that's the thing is like, there's so many good picks that you can go into the ABC or into windmill or into liquor express, uh, uh, Mary's and find not just to mention their store picks rather than trying to find these highly allocated items that in, it's great to have, but in my opinion, aren't as good. But then also if you want to try it, if you've never had Pappy Van Winkle before or you've never had Blanton's before, you can go downtown to sip. You can go down to purveyor, uh, Martin bar and bistro Beezer, a lot of these really great restaurants that have the bottles on the shelf and get a pour. Yeah. Just, you know, get a pour and it's, it may cost you a little bit, but for me, you know, to get to experience that bourbon, you may not otherwise get to outside of camping outside of the ABC for 12 hours. <laughs> yep. Now that's totally true because I'm glad you brought Knob Creek and I know, you know, it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. commercial brands. I just, oh, I'm going to say that as a, Oh, it's a, it's a little yeah. bit here. It's a super solid. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah well, and it's one of those, but yeah, <laughs> sure. The conver- depending on how uh, much is drained from this bottom, the conver- the bottle, the conversation is going to get a lot better. So, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> so I love Knob Creek. I've been drinking it for years. I, yeah. I got onto bourbon oddly enough through scotch and scotch was the first whiskey that I had. That I just really Same. loved it. And it had a lot of character and 
You know, I didn't really start drinking till I was probably in my mid twenties or so. I never drank in college. It never appealed yeah. to me. Um, but when I got on scotch I, and I kind of feel like I stepped in backwards, but maybe talking to you said the same thing. Maybe it's oh, not no, as absolutely. uncommon as I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me it was because, so I, you know, I, I got stationed in England when I was 18. So when you're 18 in England and the drinking age is 18 in England, you drink. <laughs> what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> no, it, I mean, so I got to experience it. And then also scotch is a lot cheaper over there because, you know, so with, with scotch and we've seen a huge increase in the price of scotch over the last few years oh, because, yeah. um, export and import taxes have just gone up and the it's fees and stuff. Even yeah. Scotch, tequila, all of it. Is right, right, ridiculous. right. So, so scotch was super cheap and it was super easy to get scotch, but you know, you talk about scotch and that's one of the things is like, I still drink scotch from time to time, but I prefer American bourbon and, you know, whiskey American whiskey simply because I find that it has more character. So what, what, uh, without going down the rabbit hole of what makes bourbon whiskey, makes whiskey, that kind of stuff. The thing about American bourbon is that, so when you, when you distill it, it has to be in brand new, fresh, freshly charred, fresh white oak barrels never used before, which by the way, is a huge export over to Scotland. Most scotch is distilled in previously used American white oak barrels. Oh, wow. So, but the other thing that makes bourbon bourbon and that really imparts that oak flavor is that they fill the so they fill the cask up, they fill the barrel up, and there's a very limited area within the U.S. that you really can distill um, bourbon, and that's why you see a lot of the bourbons they come out of Tennessee, they come out of Kentucky, they come out of uh, Illinois and Indiana. It's because that's the area within the within the U.S. that you get the biggest fluctuation in temperature changes. And so as the, you know, as it gets warmer during the summer, the bourbon expands and it expands out into the barrel. And then as it gets colder, it retracts, it pulls that charred flavor with it. And so you get a lot more of that and you get a lot more variance in that within, within the U S than you do in Scotland. So you can come across a three or four year bourbon that is way more character than say a six, seven year scotch. Yeah, no, that's totally true. And, um, I mean, we already talked about what the single barrel or single doesn't, sorry, the, the store pick barrel. Right. Um, and I, I want to just be forthcoming here. This is 60% ABV, 120 proof. Yeah. So yeah. this is a little stronger than the it's usual strong, 45 percent yeah. or, um, yeah, most of your, most of your Jack Daniels and stuff comes in about 90 proof. Okay. And that's where, you know, most of the, and you can find, I mean, you can find some really good 90 proof. Um, but Knob Creek by far is, is one of my favorites. And it's one of those that you can always find on the shelf. Knob Creek, Clyde Mays, um, 1792, Old Forester. There's just a lot of really good bourbons that you can find on the shelf. And especially that are store picks without having to hunt down or pay like a secondary market price on a bottle, bottle of Blanton's or something like that. Sure. Yeah. And that's a, a big problem. So for our listeners that may not be bourbon drinkers, people do what they camp out there. They grab the bottle at MSRP and then they go sell it for twice that. Yeah. That yeah. 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 Bo- bottles of Blanton's are going secondary market, you know, 150, 200 bucks, <laughs> depending on what you, you can maybe get more if like somebody's really wanting a specific dump date. So the dump date is the date when they emptied the barrel into the bottles and there's people that seek out like specific dump dates just because of, you know, whether it's a significant date to them or it's just, they, they know that this batch is a special batch. So yeah, it gets, it gets pretty expensive. Yeah, that's a 
gets complicated. It sounds like we could have a whole podcast yes. on the secondary bourbon market. Yeah, absolutely. But one thing I loved about moving here from Florida is I Knob Creek Rye, um, the small batch that they do. Yeah. Um, I love that one. That's kind of my go-to daily drinker. In Florida, I had to pay like almost $60 a bottle for that. I can get it here for twenty nine ninety nine or sometimes yeah. cheaper if it's on sale. So, so I'll say this about the ABC, about Alabama ABC and with their – with their involvement within bourbon is that when, when you have a state run state run liquor market, the prices tend to be a lot cheaper because they're able to negotiate at a higher volume than say, if just windmill was trying to negotiate for it, they're able to negotiate at a higher volume and get it for a lower cost. But also because of that, you don't get the variety because if they can't establish a decent rate, that's going to allow them profit then you're not going to, they're not going to bring that into you. And that's why you can't find certain things like you can't find uh, New Riff, Smoke Wagon, some of the other really big up and comers in, in the current market. Wow. Yeah. If, I feel like we could have a whole podcast on ABC, Alabama law. I think the only other state I've been to that I personally know is Virginia. That yeah. Virginia. Like Virginia is one of the last few ones as well. And I'm just like, man, it feels archaic. And I know there's a method to the madness or there was at one point. It's money. I mean, I mean, that's, let's call it what it is. You know, that's the, that's the big thing with, uh, with, within ABC is that it generates a lot of money for the state of Alabama, which is a great thing. I mean, a lot of that goes into education and everything else, but it's also, it's a very, it's a very restrictive climate, but that's, but that's also going back to the original thing, it's like the great thing about being in Huntsville is that you can go straight across the border oh, yeah. and go find some really good bourbon up in some of these closer areas. Oh, I, I know I do every time I'm in Nashville for whatever reason. Yeah. Even it seems like the most simple corner store gas station has oh, a yeah. ridiculous selection for really good prices. Uh, but you're right. Like the, I guess the, the upside of the ABC is it, if there's one you like and you can find it in this ABC store, it's going to be the same price in every ABC. Yeah. We don't have to go hunting for the best price. Because uh, I actually went up to Seattle and visited a friend, and he he had a bottle of the small batches, Four Roses, and I remember mm-hmm. he let me sample it. And I've had it before. It's really good. And I was like, well, if you don't mind me asking, how much did you pay for it? He's like, oh. I don't remember exactly because he had a little collection of uh, definitely like around $70. And I came back the very next week and I went and found it at the local ABC up yeah. the road. I think it was $30. Yeah, no. it's, not, it's not It's not super expensive and it's actually pretty decently easy to find. Um, even if you can't find it in an ABC store, uh, Mary's or Windmill almost always has it. Um, and, and I do want to give a quick shout out real quick to, uh, I mentioned Mary's and windmill because those are the places I go to a lot, but, uh, liquor express that's over in Madison. Oh, so wow. got yeah. the guy, uh, Raj that runs that, um, he does some really, really solid picks, but aside from that, he also is a huge, and, and this is, you know, one of the thing. So within Huntsville bourbon aficionados, they just did a fundraiser for, um, the Huntsville food bank. And raised over $11,000 just in donations from there. And he donated up some bottles to be part of the, part of the raffle. And, you know, he's been, he contributed a lot of money. He contributed some, some stuff to the, uh, to the Marine Corps birthday for fundraiser stuff. He's just, he's one of those people that's a really big part of the community and takes 
doesn't just take from the community and far as far as bringing in business, but really makes it a point to give back. So that, that to me, that that's a huge, huge thing. No, that is huge. And fortunately that's a common theme theme I've personally seen in Huntsville was people really take pride of being a part of this community. And you can sense that for people like you and I know this better than anybody. We come here and it seems like immediately we're accepted, you know, and then we're plugged in and I've, I've never met in my adult life anyway, met so many friends that I did not work with, you know, yeah. <laughs> like have an actual life outside of work and yeah. it's comforting. It's well, like, and, and the big thing too, is if you, if you try to make it a point and show that you genuinely, genuinely want to be a part of the community and in, so you see this a lot and having been, been living in San Antonio and stuff, <laughs> you saw it a lot in, in like places like Austin and stuff that had a huge influx of people from outside of the area. And they didn't necessarily do a really good job of kind of adapting to the culture. They wanted to change the culture to uh, what yeah. they were used to type thing. And so and it's kind of like what Ricky talked to about, yep. you know, okay, people from f- people from California, like, oh, my God, the fish tacos here just aren't good. Well, you're not in California. You're, right. you're, not, you're not in that that circle of influence here. So if you're if you're trying to be a part of the culture and really try to highlight the culture, which I think is something we do you know, as influencers that that's, you're going to be open, you know, open arms, welcomed into the community, that kind of thing. For sure. And I think what the unique thing about Huntsville is if you come in with an open mind, it'll surprise you. This, everyone says it Huntsville is not the rest of Alabama or Birmingham for that matter. These are very (laughs) unique cities. And uh, we, they, I, I told you I was up here for training when I got, you know, kind of made the decision to retire from the air force. And that was one of the things that, the instructors there have said it's like they asked the class at the beginning of the class, like, Hey, who's ever been to Alabama before? And you know, the people that didn't raise their hand, they tell them like, this is not what the rest of Alabama looks like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and living in Montgomery, I can attest to that. It's <laughs> not, this is not what the rest, but it's, but it's great because it is that melting pot, but still maintaining that, that kind of Southern, that Southern charm and some of its character. But I think that part of it too, is that, the city is embracing all that other influence because it's really causing people to step up their game. And because people are coming in like you and I, they're coming in from, you know, having military experience or people that are coming in from living in other parts of you're coming in from the DC area because a lot of the government agencies and the federal contractors have stopped doing operations up in Virginia, come down here. So they're coming in with a much bigger world view than what maybe somebody that just grew up in Alabama. Sure. Yeah. You know, so, so you, you come, you're coming from an area to where you can go in one block and be able to choose between Ethiopian food and Italian food, which by the way, somebody needs an open, open an Ethiopian restaurant oh, here, man, like, I like wish. super quick, yeah. like super quick, but you can, you know, DC and California to where you can go within a block and get five different cultures of food versus growing up here. And even growing up in Charleston to where it was always, okay, barbecue, fast food, or you're meeting three, you know, you're meeting three places, fried chicken, mac and cheese, the, the classic blue collar. Southern yeah, yeah exactly. Like, like, Oh, cool. Another diner. But you're starting to see that within here. And I think part of it too, is that you're starting to see multiple places of the same type of demographic and within that. So within the breweries, it's the same thing within the brewery scene is that, if you're the only one in town, you, you, you're able to survive on just maintaining the status quo because you're the only thing in town. 
But when other people start coming into your market, it forces you to really up your game. And now you also have people coming into the market that have knowledge. They understand the culture. They understand the food. And so they have a much more worldly view. And so they're not going to accept, you know, what is kind of maybe has been the acceptable standard within here. And and, and it's great because I think it, it forces people to get more creative and it gives what you look about two years ago so or two, three years ago, somewhere like fat Sammy's, which I absolutely freaking love, yeah, love would not place. have been, would not have been possible because didn't have the mark big O's, which you, yeah. you, you know, uh, really good people with you, really good friends with you. And yep. I love it. anyone downtown. I'm probably friends with. We'll just, say yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. but, but a lot of yeah. those places that are really great spots in town, no, I, I get it. Wouldn't um, have been around, you know, five, 10 years and ago. I, I, I have the pleasure. I've, um, I, I got to meet chef Jeremy at fat Sammy's mm-hmm. due to a, we are Huntsville. And so that's another thing I love about we are Huntsville is it's, it's broadened my horizons as, as far as who I've been able to talk to, and he grew up kind of, I know in, I want to say Athens, Alabama, but he lived for, before he went into being a chef, he, uh, he went, he was working in the medical industry, I think selling medical equipment. He just said it was super boring. Um, he ended up in Cleveland at some point yeah. and he ended up working at this really awesome Asian fusion restaurant, which I think inspired him to come back to Huntsville and, you know, we need a place like this. And at the time he was right. Cause Huntsville, I've only lived here for three years, but in that three years, it's changed dramatically. And it's interesting to see what, so it's cool to see him go from the sandwich pop up on the side yeah. of the road, yeah, to yeah, a yeah, fully yeah. fledged Asian fusion restaurant with, and when he started the menu was a bit different. I think it was a bit larger and he's really narrowed that into like the, the greatest hits. And I, I yeah. love that. I love once you see a, here's a little foodie secret for our listeners too, is if you see a restaurant with a small menu that's frequently rotating or having yeah. a special every week, you know, it's fresh. So yeah. Yeah. Purveyor, purveyor is really good about oh, that. Yeah. Purveyor is one of those places that you can't, if, if you see a, if you see a dish on the menu that you really liked, you need to go back within a week or so to, to go get it again. Because if you wait a couple months it's not going to be on the menu. And that's the right way to do things because that's based off of like, you know, okay, this is what the seat, this is what is fresh right now. This is what is appropriate for the season. And you see it within the breweries too. Like you're seeing a lot more within the breweries that are coming out with now is the time for heavier beers. So what we call warmer beers. So your stouts, your porters, you know, a lot of your dessert beers. Whereas when you start getting into the summer months, you know, you're talking about your lighter beer. So a lot of your IPAs, your sours, well, those crushable your, poolside your gozas, beers. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, and, and you've got some places that do those, some really great, um, you know, their flagship beers and stuff, which uh, like uh, Yellow Yellowhammer, their T minus culture, Tangerine culture, which is one of like my favorite crushable beers. It's it's the one I take when I go kayaking. Okay, cool. To go out there, also by the way, um, it's a very good beer if you go buy it because it gives back to charity. So they've actually been able to, they, they use the they use some of the profits raised from that beer to send kids to space camp. Oh, wow. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's a, you know, doing good with, yeah, with good beers and, uh, keeping, keeping the local community local. Uh, yeah. 
And you and the cool thing about Huntsville too is some other metro areas I've lived in, it's like they try to stifle those guys from distributing to Publix and Walmart. Sure, and um, sure. you don't see that here as much. And I really appreciate that. So yeah. the T minus Coles from Yellowhammer, you can buy that at any grocery store, I feel oh, like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That one and um like their miracle worker. There's yeah. a couple other ones that are just like they that they give back with in there. But that's that's a great thing. And I think that that's uh, it's a good thing. You talk about like the Publixes and places like that, that a lot of towns, you see them trying to stifle each other. And and you see that also within a lot of markets to where there's, there's competition to the point where it's unhealthy competition. Yeah. And I don't, I haven't noticed that in, no, in Huntsville. I, I mean, I haven't either. Even in the restaurant scene, it seems like there's a lot of collaboration going on. People are generally friends. I've, yeah. I've literally seen restaurants cook a whole meal to go feed another restaurant staff yeah, that day. And but, but and, and like within the, within the brewery. So like Doug Tibbs, which is the brewmaster over at um, Chandler's Ford slash Beezer. Yeah. Um, he worked at straight to ale. He worked at blue pants. He worked at below the radar, a couple other places. Um, Robo, which runs fractal. He worked at, below the radar. Um, I think he worked at blue pants. He worked at rocket Republic. And so they, they all know each other. They all kind of grew, grew up in the same, you know, same circles. And so, but everybody's very friendly. Nobody, yeah. nobody is like, you know, Oh, well you, you can't come drink my beer at straight to ale. If you also like yellow hammer, they, they all know each other. And I think it's all also, they, it's an appreciation and it's kind of, I think a product of the fact that Alabama did, it came so late with the free the hops, free the hops movement, um, which for those that don't know, free the hops is basically where Alabama passed legislation that not only allowed microbreweries, but allowed uh, beer over five percent ABV to be sold in the state of Alabama. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's there's actually a really funny clip out there of like uh, I forgot what the guy's name is, but basically saying uh, it was one of the one of the senators at the time that was like. He, he had a bottle of Bud Light. He's like, what's wrong with this? It's good enough. I can drink this. And so it's uh, it just, you know, fighting against that, that ABV. And so there's, yeah, there, there, because of the free the hops movement and because that freedom is now appreciated so much and that culture is just new. I think that's why people are so passionate about it. So do you ever, in your personal opinion, think that could happen a similar movement to kind of lessen the grip the ABC has on this state? No, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't see the state of Alabama ever getting out of the liquor business. And just because it's, it's just simply, it makes so much money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not, it, like I said, there's good and bad to it. The bad thing is, is that it limits stuff, you know, things like, uh, Buffalo trace, um, which is a allocated item here in the state of oh, Alabama wow. that you can easily go into, any liquor store in most other states and get oh yeah for off sure. the shelf easy. Well, um, that's interesting. I used to be able when I first moved here three years ago, I could get it every time just at the local ABC, yeah. and now yeah. it's just gone. Yeah. It seems yeah, yeah, like. yeah, yeah, it's hard to find. Um, which, by the way, Mary's usually has some. Okay, so Mary's so usually has some. Mary's are they the liquor store that's inside the Sitco gas station, or is that another? Yeah, one? it's like yeah, it's like a Sitco okay. and Exxon's right across from the racetrack. So you might right? you might drive right by. Oh it yeah, if you didn't yeah, yeah. Recognize it? You'll drive right by it. It's it's part of the store, and and you're gonna pay a couple bucks more. And that's the thing is like. People go in there and like somebody will ask me like, oh, you know, I want, I'm looking for Buffalo Trace. It's like, oh, I just went to Mary's and I saw it there and they had a bottle of it. 
And they're like, oh, okay. And then I hear back from them, like, well, did you get that bottle of Buffalo Trace? Well, no, it was, you know, $34. And I know the ABC sells it for $26. And I was like, well, yeah, but does ABC have it on the shelf? Yeah, right. Well, no, but I mean, exactly. You know, suck it up. You, you Pay the extra yeah, few bucks. Pay the extra few bucks. And, and they're, you know, they're working to bring stuff to make sure that they have stuff. And they're just, because they don't get it any cheaper than what the ABC sells it. They have to add on a little bit more just to keep, but they're, they're really big into the, into, you know, bringing that stuff in there. But yeah, I, I don't see the state of Alabama ever getting out of the ABC, the alcohol business, just simply because they make, they make good money from it. I do see some of the the trending in the right direction for um, opening things up. One of the things that they just started, you know, allowing this year as of October 1st is that number one, you can be a part of the wine delivery clubs. So there's online things where you can bring in wine, uh, but then also to where you can actually, you can get more than crap. And I can't even remember how much it was, but it used to be, you could only like, if I, so you, you gave me some of these, some of the cans and stuff from, from trim tab, trim tab. If I go down, to, if I went down to Birmingham to the VA to go for an appointment down there, I'd swing by trim tab, but I can only buy a certain amount of beer because they were limited on how much beer they can sell. Well, now that's no longer a limit. You can also buy kegs directly from the brewery. So if you have a favorite brewery that you like and you're like, Hey, I'm having a party, you know, it's summertime. I'm having a party and I really like monkey knot IPA. You can go to straight to ale now and buy a, buy a, a small keg of the, of monkey knot and take it home with you. And that's the great thing about uh, the, the free, the hops movement is influencing that. So you're starting to see a trend in the right way of them allowing more stuff to happen. ABC is still going to maintain control over it and put their, get their money out of it. Sure. But personally I wouldn't mind I don't really care what happens to the ABC I'm not a member of you know neither of us are um but just to even kind of loosen up that supply chain to where we could open up the selection that would be amazing I mean <laughs> I get there has to be some sort of governing yep. body even if the only thing your state's doing is authorizing liquor license um but if anyone in the ABC ever hears this please take that into consideration cuz that's the other thing I have learned too about the ABC is a lot of their what we think are laws are just regulations, so no yeah. one actually has to vote on it, other than oh, yeah. who's at the ABC. And you can just petition it. I yeah, mean, you can petition it and have your voice heard. But you know, you got to remember we're in the middle of the Bible Belt, so I mean, there's. <laughs> I think that we'll see the legalization of marijuana and a lottery and a state lottery system in the state of Alabama before we see ABC <laughs> get out of it. <laughs> You're not wrong, you know. Uh, <laughs> But so you you have a little collection at home too, I believe. Yeah, I've got um I think I'm up to about sixty, seventy bottles oh, now. So man. yeah, so you it's don't a it's ever a, a shortage of that. Not not a drunk. <laughs> so I no, I, I I get out in the road a little bit and just between, you know, traveling a little bit for work and then um I'm really big into cigars, and so I've got some friends that I'm in a cigar group with on Facebook and then we, we get together a couple times a year. And obviously COVID put a squash on a little bit of that, but now that things have been, you know, relaxing, we've been able to get together. And so we'll get together in Knoxville. Um, We've got one guy that we know that runs a store up in Virginia. Um, Recently we traveled up to Dayton. I traveled up to Dayton, Ohio to go meet up with some friends. And it's just, it's a cool way to get, you know, get out and meet people and share common interests. But while I'm out doing that, I'll usually stop at a couple of liquor stores along the way just to stretch my legs. And then also I look for bottles that I've never had before. 
you know, I've, I've gotten to taste Pappy Van Winkle. I've gotten to taste Blanton's, all this other stuff. Now I'm looking for bottles that I've never experienced before. And then I bring those bottles back. I usually, you know, Share them with you, yeah, share no, them with no. other friends. I appreciate it. Trust me. <laughs> or, or I'll, you know, I'll even just post in some of the Facebook groups or on my Instagram account of it. And so the the whole thing is not to, it's not a brag. It's not to flaunt it, but it's to show people like, Hey, there's the, all this great other product that's out there, all these options that are out there. And it's the same thing with food, yeah. you know, it's to show people like, Hey, there. I think with anything, people love to stay in their comfort zone yeah, and it's like, easy, like, it's comfortable. Like I was like, oh my God, there's people, the way that people were falling over about Cheesecake Factory opening. Yeah, up. that's been a hot topic <laughs> lately. Which yeah. by the way, Cheesecake Factory, come on, man. You just opened up. How do you get a 70 on your health I, I personally think the whole Bird Street must be haunted because I don't yeah, know what happens yeah, yeah, up yeah. there, but every yeah. time they get a health inspection, it's like everyone's getting hit. Because because Bar Louie went away. Oh, yeah. um, you know, P.F. Chang's got a 50. And sorry, I don't mean to throw any restaurants under the bus, but I mean. Well, it's kind but, of public knowledge a little late now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but it's one of those things of like, okay, I don't, and and you will rarely ever see me showcase anything that is a chain as far as a national chain. Like I won't go to Chili's and say, Oh my God, look at how good their baby back ribs were, Yeah, <laughs> you know, but, but I like showcasing local stuff. And so that's the thing is like, that's one of the things that the reason I got into, you know, doing the, with the Instagram and the blogging and the writing and everything else is that I like to showcase what's available to you around here or turning people on to different things rather than them becoming, becoming fixated on one or two things, showing them like, Hey, this is what's available at your doorstep. And and I know that, you know, this, there may be this really shiny thing that has a really great marketing department that can spend thousands and thousands of dollars to tell you that they're the best, but have you tried a, B and C? I completely agree. And in fact, that's what spawned a lot of rocket fuel was people didn't even know I came to discover what was in their own backyard as far as choices. And I definitely appreciate you kind of spreading the good word when it comes to the craft beer and bourbon, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. cigars, whatever it might be about what we can find. Um, Cause like you said, with the ABC, they, they limit our selection and it, it, it can be hard to keep up with unless you're reading those allocation right, lists right, on a right. monthly basis. Well, well, and I think that too, you know, and this is, this is true with a lot of, a lot of any kind of product. Um, if you if you're if you keep patronizing the same people even though their their product is okay it just meets the standard you keep you're you're rewarding that behavior of like okay yeah the food was just okay and, and they're like but but this is the place that I've always been going to but the food is just okay but I know this is my comfort zone Versus if you go to somewhere that is, you know, trying new things and, and open up your, open up your worldview a little bit, open up your mind to new experiences a little bit, then you start encouraging those people that are innovate in, innovators within their community, within their market. And so what that does is it sends a signal to those people that are kind of stagnant and says, Hey, we can't just do the same thing. And so it really does create comp, it creates healthy competition and it really, helps expand a culture within an area. And I believe that's why we see kind of what I consider average or very less than average beer brands like Anheuser-Busch, anything, you know, Miller Lite, Coors oh, yeah. Lite, why oh, yeah. they were so popular in the past. And now it's to the point those big brewers and big companies are having to buy out craft breweries just to, 
that's the only way they can survive oh, yeah. to compete because oh, yeah. yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. demand is there and that's a huge shift and it, it's good in a way it's getting more variety but like you i'm a sm- small business supporter through and through and i worry that if all these craft chain you know craft chains are bought out by the bigger chains then eventually yeah craft beer yeah, is yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. synonymous with yeah. big beer again yeah you see uh, you see it a lot with with uh so InBev, the company that owns um, so they, Anheuser-Busch. Yeah, they also, own what, like 90% of the world? Yeah, yeah. So they, they, it's, all, it's all of Anheuser-Busch. It's Heineken. It's Guinness. It's um, uh, Goose Island. Okay. Um, Blue Moon. There's a bunch. I mean, they own a stuff ton. Stuff you don't even know. That they own a ton of stuff brewery. that's like, oh, it's craft beer. Right. No, it's not craft beer. Yeah, it's, it's just disguised. It's a, yeah. And, you know, you still got some people that are they're holding holding true to, you know, it being. And, and it's not to say that there's anything wrong with you. Okay. If you have the opportunity to, you know, you generated a really good product that now you're able to sell and make money and get more distribution, more power to you. But. There's, there's just so much, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, you know, supporting this, like you said, supporting the small business, supporting the artist, the people that are really doing something. And that's, that's kind of what I like to focus on when I do any of, any of my blogs and stuff is like, I like, I like highlighting the people that are up and coming, I like highlighting the people that have a true passion for it versus, you know, without <laughs> try to be positive, but without saying names, there's restaurants in town that are even though are locally owned, but I think that have gotten stagnant Yeah, and, and they, they haven't risen to the occasion of, you know, the fact that there's, there's serious competitors sure. coming into the market oh, yeah. and you need to step up your game. You got to, um, I'm kind of the same way. I don't, I'm not going to name names cause I'm, I'm all positive here and I want to yeah. really support these guys and the community doing good things. But, and I know COVID's had a lot to do with it. I don't feel like it's fair to judge, but I, I have felt the quality of some restaurants go down significantly in oh, that yeah. two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're cutting back due to, you know, meat costs rising or something like that, or it's just, yeah. we're just trying to survive and you're lucky I'm showing up to work every day. Um, yeah. It, it, and you, you pointed on a good fact. So like one of the things with me is that I'll go to somewhere and the food can be okay, but if the service sucks, I won't go back. I don't care how good the food is. If the service is horrible. Now you you talk about, you know, the lucky you showed up to work thing. You know, a lot of the people, number one, if you're going to a restaurant and you're being rude to a server or whatever, just because you're impatient and you feel, if you fail to understand that the kitchen is, is short staffed and everything else, shame on you. You know, you, you totally, you tip your servers. Yeah. Shame on you. It, you know, tip your server. It's not your server's fault that the kitchen time was, you know, the kitchen is backed up or whatever. Tip your servers. However, if you're a server out there being short staffed is not an excuse for being rude. So there's that fine balance, you know, there's that fine balance of it's like, okay, but yeah, I, I hear it from a lot of people is, and I've seen it firsthand where I've gone in a restaurant. It's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Food took a little bit longer because they're short staffed because they're short on chefs and people are just being, you know, absolutely like a better term. They're being an asshole yeah, about it. <laughs> totally. There's no need for it. And I think that's, what's unique about us as bloggers slash influencers, whatever you want to call it, uh, is that we see both sides of it. We're yeah. consumers, but we also know the people that own these businesses. Yeah. And, I mean, and I encourage people, Ricky uh, Garcia and Ricky HSV in the last podcast mentioned this too, is if, if you, there's something you don't see or you want to know, right. feel free to reach out to us and right. we can influence these decisions and get it to the right people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's, and most, most time we know a lot of these owners, but I think that a lot of it too is, 
you know, the difference between sympathy and empathy, sympathy, being able to feel sorry for somebody just because you're human and empathy, being able to feel sorry for somebody because you've been through that. Um, you know, I worked in, aside from working on shrimp boats and stuff, I was a bus boy. I washed dishes. I worked in a kitchen growing up, you know, as a side job in high school. And then while I was stationed in the military, because surprise, surprise, the military doesn't really pay that well. No, <laughs> um, no way. Oh yeah. my God. Uh, yeah, I had to work side jobs. And yeah. so I bartended, I worked in the kitchen, you know, I, I cooked and that kind of stuff. And so I've been in those, I've been in the food service industry and in the service industry. And so I definitely understand what they're going through. And that's the thing is you're able to provide a little bit of empathy to them. But yeah, you've, you've got to, you've got to tip your servers. You've got to be nice to yeah, people please and, do. and have a little bit of understanding that like, you know, that they're busting their butts and they're trying to do the best that they can under these situations. And it's hard right now. It's, it, it's just, it it's, it's really hard tough. on everybody. And yeah. I, I, my heart goes out and commends to everyone that's fighting, oh, fighting the good fight right now and keeping us fed and entertained. It is not easy. And we appreciate you. But as a smoky Southerner, your blogger sure. tag, is there any common questions you get, you know, that you see a trend in your direct messages or anything that you could address on the air that people so, might be too scared to ask? Yeah, you? I get a lot of, you know, well, where do you find this? Or I come and, and Ricky talked about this last, last, last week. And, and it's one of those things of, so, so I have, I have kind of a duality of opinions on it. So Ricky talked about and Ricky he's a great guy, a lot of great personality and so much, so much passion for the Huntsville community. It's, it's stupid. I mean, just really great guy knows a lot of the people knows a lot of stuff. There, there's a, there's a, a happy medium though, because I think that you know, you've got a lot of the people that have grown up their whole life here in Huntsville that they're used to certain things. And so they say, you know, well, this is, Hunts. This is Alabama's blank, but then you've got the other side of the the other extreme of it to where you get a lot of people that come in and say, "Well, I want to have you know i i had I had you know fish tacos in when I was in California or these types of you know this type of Mexican and this type of tacos deep dish but, in Chicago, yeah, deep dish in Chicago, that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, first of all, you need to realize you're not there anymore. But it doesn't mean that you should lower standards or that you shouldn't seek out those good food, that good food. And at the same time, you know, to, to restaurant owners and to chefs and stuff like that, that may be listening to this, you know, don't, don't, don't settle back into that, 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 you know, comfort zone of like, well, this is Alabama. I don't have to perform at a higher standard because like we said. There's people coming into this marketplace with a much broader worldview. Yes. And so what your, you know, your previous standards of what Mexican or Thai or Chinese or whatever might have been may not be acceptable anymore. And so these these new companies that are coming up, these new restaurants that are being built that are pushing the envelope on this type of food and really being more true to that style and to that to that culture of cuisine. They're, they're really doing it. So a lot of times I hear people that'll say, you know, well, you know what? So I'll hear somebody say, Hey, you know, where do I find great Mexican food? And my opinion of what great Mexican food is going to be a lot different than somebody that has lived here their whole life, simply because they've been, ex they've been exposed to a much smaller, you know, worldview, a much smaller circle. So, so that's the thing I'll say is a lot of people say, Hey, 
what's the best place to go for this? If you ask me, it's going to be different than, you know, if you ask you, you know, rocket fuel, if you ask Ricky, or if you ask Mandy Pandy or, you know, Heather or any of the other influencers that are within our circle of, you know, our circle of friends, it's just based off of what you, what you, so the best thing I can tell you is that if you're asking me where to go, I'm going to tell you my recommendations. However, my challenge to you is Go out and try them all. Go out there, hit every single place. You know, if you if you're asking me for the best Mexican food, go out there and hit Rosie's, hit Phil Sandoz, hit El Omeca, hit Buena Vista, hit La Finca. I won't tell you which ones I don't like, but hit hit everything yeah. and see which ones you like for yourself because tastes are subjective. Totally, that's a that's a big thing in our industry. People don't understand, <laughs> and that why it's yeah. hard to tailor content towards a particular demographic yeah, yeah, yeah. is everyone's taste but, is different. But don't just settle into the fact of like you know, and I and I hear this a lot, and, and unfortunately, this is probably going to make some of the locals mad. I hear the people a lot that say, well, you know, okay, that when you ask, somebody asks, like, where do I go for fine dining? And they say, okay, go to Cotton Row. Or they say, where to go for Mexican? And they'll go to, say, Phil Sando or, you know, Rosie's. And, the, and it's not that they're, those aren't quality places, but those are the ones that come up because they've been here for so long and people. And that's what a lot of people that have lived here have gotten so comfortable with. And, you know, without challenging it, not saying that we shouldn't support all these small businesses and that there's value in these places because they've paved the way for, they've brought that, you know, they've shown that like Phil Sandoz and Rosie's has shown that there's a place for Mexican food in Huntsville, Alabama. Absolutely. You know, straight to ale has shown that there is a place for craft beer in Huntsville, Alabama, not just, and not just that, but like paving the way for like the free, the hops movement. That's huge. That is huge. And, and the, Kind of straight Dale's recent move is buying those failing breweries and yeah, resurrecting yeah, while letting them keep their name and their branding. That's and, amazing. And, and and not to go too much on a tangent, but yeah. opening places, buying places like Salty Nut and that kind of stuff, which Salty Nut has a completely different vibe oh, than what yeah. Straight Dale does. Having you know, it allows those types of venues to where like with me, I I prefer a more chill beer spot versus like a very big and bubbly type busy location. But um I, I would encourage everybody to go out there and, you know, yeah, you can find your favorites, but don't establish that favorite until you've tried everything. And, and please, Huntsville's not that big. Please drive to other corners of town and don't stay in your oh, corner. Yeah. You know, that's the oh, thing that drives God. me crazy. I hear so many people that are like that. Sorry, Madison residents, this is for you. I hear so many people that are like, they live in one part of town and they never travel outside of any. And, and We've got we've got friends that live in Madison, but Madison yeah, is one no. of those places. Like they never travel outside of Madison. It's Madison's like, don't get me wrong, Madison's great. It's There's great. They've got some. There. They've got some really cool but, spots in Madison, but, but it's not comprehensive of the whole Huntsville metro yeah. area. Either. And even if you go down, like keep going down five sixty five, like you're going out towards uh, towards Tennessee, or go out towards Scottsboro. Go out to Gunnersville. Oh yeah, there's some really solid food and some solid places to be found in Gunnersville. I agree. Well. Man, this has been an awesome conversation. I just oh, yeah, think man. it flowed real well, and I appreciate you coming on. But Absolutely. Well, Thanks for having me. Yeah, I want to know, Smoky Southern, what what are the plans for the future for that brand? What do you expect Ooh. in a year? Where would you Ooh. be with it? You know, I, I'm going to keep doing the same thing. And so that I don't I don't really feel the, the desire or need to – I don't want to expand to do a bunch of other stuff. 
I'm going to stay within my comfort zone. You know what I like. So traditional Southern food stuff that I've experienced during, during my travels around the world and then beer, bourbon, and cigars, because I think that it's a, uh, it's a missed out culture. And I would like to see more, more uh, highlighting of those, of those cultures within Huntsville, because I think they're growing a lot. You're seeing a lot more of the beer, um, beer culture, bourbon culture, cigar culture, stuff like that. So I plan to highlighting some more of that stuff. Um, I actually thinking about taking kind of my whiskey wisdom and some of the other stuff into maybe some smaller tidbits of podcasts, you know, not nothing too expansive, but 15, 20 minutes. Um, But to try to share some information and just try to continue to develop, you know, those develop that knowledge. I'm a, I'm a nerd about stuff. I'm a student in life and I love learning about the, about this. And, and that's one of the things I loved, I've loved about Huntsville is just being able to uh, really dive into the culture and learn so much because there is so much here. So yeah, just, I, I try to post as much as I can, but I d- also don't want to just force stuff on there. So I want to make sure I create meaningful content, yep. but going to continue to push stuff out there, going to continue to try to put information out there and continue to highlight the local businesses that I think that are doing really big things within the, within the cultures that I care about, but then also providing that education, you know, letting people know like, Hey, there's, there's good beer, there's good bourbon, there's good cigars, there's good food to be had out there. You just have to know where to look and you have to be able to work with you because you can sit back and you can complain all day long. There's like, Oh, well, you know, when I was, when I lived in South Carolina, I could go and get Blanton's all the time. Or when I lived in California, I could go and find fish tacos. Okay. You're not there anymore. You're in Huntsville, Alabama. Embrace the culture that we have here because it's a fantastic city. It is. It's a great town. Embrace the culture that we have here and learn to appreciate what so many people have been doing here to bring so much culture and so much uh, business and expansion to the to the area. Yeah, and I want to be clear too, and I know you already – you feel the same way. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about what we came from and how we know oh, this. And that, that's the point of you writing that yeah, absolutely not. article. Yeah, absolutely not. Because that's also what drives innovation in the city to sure. take it in a positive direction. And, uh, that's what I, that's it, what I love about this. Yeah, It's like, it's like you said, like we just talked about a second ago, Ethiopian food. Yeah. Hey. You know, how many people would think that there's a demand for Ethiopian food? But if you start, if you start talking about it, then maybe, you know, maybe it'll come about. Maybe somebody will will start doing it as a ghost kitchen. You look at what Fire and Spice. So Fire oh, and Spice man. did with their, yeah. you know, let, let's, okay. Speaking of, yeah, let's, I got, let, a, I got the brisket had, for Thanksgiving, yes, and that's phenomenal. I did, I did the turkey and the brisket yeah. from there for Thanksgiving. Phenomenal. Um, you know, Heather, Amanda, Angie, y'all can hate all you want to. But that bologna sandwich was fantastic. Hey, you, yeah, you know, <laughs> don't knock it till you try it. I, I know they were like, you know, y'all in that bologna. That bologna sandwich was was amazing. So Fire and Spice, you know, they they've recently shut down their brick and mortar facility, and now they're going into back to the food trucks. And so they've got their heavenly sandwiches and their and the Fire and Spice. But heavenly sandwiches started as an experiment, as a ghost kitchen, because yeah, somebody said, hey. Would it be cool if we did this? And it became so popular that now they're doing it full time. So if you think that something is not possible within the market, bring it up. Yeah, yep. no, totally. And by the way, I want to mention we tried those concepts before they were even launched out onto the street you know, with the yeah. other food trucks. And that yeah, was yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. That's how I tried the bologna sandwich, which I found out wasn't on the menu anymore. And if you're there, Fire and Spice listening, please bring it back. <laughs> 
It, it was so We good. need your bologna yeah, sandwich right now. Like, I don't know what craft artisanal bologna that, that was. But it's, it's that thick cut bologna. Yeah. That's what it is. It's the thick cut. And, and growing up as a Southern boy, you know, fried bologna. Um, it's, sandwiches it's a staple you know with duke's mayonnaise because you're in the south yep. there is no other acceptable mayonnaise except duke's mayonnaise i'm telling you this right now this is religion don't try yeah. to find it and don't even try to say that miracle whip is the same as oh, mayo because no. it's not okay nope. you can take <laughs> you can take that yankee stuff right back <laughs> yeah. but hey man it, it's been great i really yeah, appreciate no, you know um, this has been a good time i want to leave this on a good we got to do this again we got to, man so if you ever start that podcast please have me as a oh, guest of course. on the other oh, of side course. of that that would be so much fun it may it may be a little bit less PG, but you know, we'll get, okay. we'll get into some bourbon. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> what do you want to leave this podcast with? If there's one thing you want to tell the Huntsville community and those listeners right now, what would it be? You know, I just think that, you know, embrace the town that you're in. Uh, realize that, you know, you're coming to hear from other parts of the world. Most of us are transplants. Most of us are not from around here. Remember your culture. Remember where you came from, like I do with you know Charleston and with shrimp and grits and my seafood upbringing. But also, just really get out there and embrace the local culture. There is so much out there, more than you know what you can find in Bridge Street or what you find in Madison. Get out there and travel, and get out there and just pick a destination. Go on Google Maps. That's what I do. Yeah. I, I I don't have an insight to a lot of stuff. I find somewhere on Google Maps, and I was like, you know, hey, what's a barbecue place? And I go find. Go find the most hole in the wall place, the places, the places that look like they can fail yep. their fail their health code test, not the ones that actually. Do. Yeah, please. <laughs> but go go find the most random places and go and enjoy the experience. Just sit down and you know breathe it all in. Remember that not so long ago, about a year ago, we weren't even able to go out and and do this. Yeah, I know. We I weren't able to couldn't. go out there and and go enjoy stuff. But so take advantage of it. Treat the treat the staff nice, tip well, enjoy the food and just, you know, experience what Huntsville has to offer and what the North Alabama has to offer. For this sure. is a fantastic place. I it mean, is. And I mean, it, I'll admit I was rife with stereotypes when even when i came into town and they were all wrong i'll, I'll be them i'll first admit that um, I, I still get it from people they're like yeah. Why, why'd you why'd you retire in alabama it's like y'all don't realize huntsville's different <laughs> yeah huntsville's different and it, it takes people like that to take the chance to make things yeah, absolutely better. Um, absolutely and that's what i want to say right now personally to the restaurant owners that might be listening to this if you're doing something innovative mm-hmm. keep it going i know it's hard and you probably question yourself or is this gonna work is this paying the bills but is driving the culture in the right direction. We appreciate you for that. And another plug for wearehuntsville.com. If, like you were saying, you're new into town, you need to find something to do. They have yeah. a whole event calendar there. Yeah. Oh, Sign absolutely. up for the emails. You'll get them every Thursday, tell you what's going on that weekend. And there's lists. There's what they call That's listicles, it. which are list articles, like my shrimp and grits. Sure. Lots of stuff out there. Ricky has one for uh, tacos, that kind of stuff. That'll give you a rundown. And it's a really cool cool thing to go out there. And like when my wife and I first moved up here, that's one of the first things we did is like we started looking like, okay, we're going to hit all these restaurants of blank type and find our favorite. Do that. Get out there and explore. You know, Get out there and enjoy the local culture. There's so much to do in Huntsville. So, so much to do in Huntsville. It, you just got to get outside of your comfort zone and really get out there and, and, and enjoy what the city has to offer. But yeah, um, check out We Are Huntsville, uh, of course. You know, yeah, where do we find you? That's the real question. Yeah, so uh, at The Smoky Southerner. So The Smoky Southerner, T-H-E-S-M-O-K-E-Y, Southerner, um, on Instagram, on Facebook. 
And and I've got some TikToks up there too. Okay. So TikTok. yeah, some, some some keeping it with the new generation. I know. I'm trying trying to be with the cool kids. <laughs> All right. Well, hey man, I appreciate you coming. Yeah, it was out. a good time, man. man Thanks good. for having yeah, me. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime. Everybody, for sure. That's the Smoky Southern Ben Ackerman. And hey, we appreciate you, man. Yeah, Have man. Ha- happy holidays, everybody. There Have a good is. weekend hey. or whenever you listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Rocket Fuel HSV podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Need easy meal inspirations or want to see what the Huntsville food scene has to offer? Don't forget to follow Rocket Fuel HSV on Instagram and Facebook. 